it cracks me up because we don't even hear that when you're tapping. It's yeah, just, it's I can't insane. believe we can't hear that. I know. What can I do to make the world hear me? <laughs> <laughs> Dramatic sound effects. <laughs> we need them. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Too Many Men. My name is Allison Lucan. And as always, I'm delighted to be joined by, I don't know which one of these is a bigger deal, um, the Taylor Swift concert ticket ticket having, but also the newest member of the Elite Prospects Open Ice columnist. And if you are not subscribing to Elite Prospects, what are you even doing with your life? Sarah Sivian. Many are asking. <laughs> Sarah Sivian, how are you today? I am delightful. Yes. Kind of lost my voice. The 1975 concert Sunday. Um, Roddy Healy, the one and only, and now got tickets to Taylor Swift in Vancouver. Like, could you dream something up better for next year on my birthday weekend? So you're all buying me drinks at the Roxy. And yes, I joined EP Ringside and I could not be more ecstatic. Well, I'll tell you what, if I can get a Taylor Swift ticket, I will absolutely buy all your drinks at the Roxy. How about that? <laughs> Sounds I'm working on it. I'm Are we dressing it, up for it too? Is that still a thing yeah. or is that like? Yes. Oh yeah. Oh okay. yeah. It's still I the same tour, what's Shana. Our, what's... I don't fucking know. I need to know our themes. I need to and know. And Ryan Reynolds will be there. You. Oh. Van City. <laughs> All right. She's spoken up already. We love her so much. We're so happy she's back after a little bout of a little bit of an illness, but she's never down for long. It's the house renovating, coming back to full health. The Athletics, Shayna Goldman. Shayna, say hi. Hi. How are you? You doing okay? My wellness levels uh, could be higher, but we're, you know, we're we're persevering today. We're, we're persevering through. We do not take the option at too nope. many men. We push through. Even the All NFL right. was begging us to talk today. The Bills last night with their too many men. They were like, you need to, you need to record. <laughs> Everyone is talking about it. Well, we do uh, appreciate you putting up with uh us having some technical issues last week. We are so happy to be back. We were ready to go, folks. We had a whole show ready to go, and then we had to, to pause. But here we are. We're back with you. And soon we're going to have some intro music for this. I will leave that tease at that. But it is time for Sarah Sivian's favorite segment. Sarah, what time is it? Little news. It cracks you up because we don't even hear that when you're tapping. It's yeah, just, it's I insane. can't believe we can't hear that. I know. What can I do to make the world hear me? <laughs> <laughs> it's dramatic sound effects. <laughs> we need them. All right. Okay, here we go. Bit O news time, my friends. Um, There's a lot of news going on. We're going to just touch on some of the quicker points quickly. Let's start with, there was a little trade here. Kaylin Addison goes to San Jose and Zach Bogosian is coming to Minnesota. I think the Bogosian to Minnesota, as many have said, is like a trade that obviously just makes sense. Like he screams, yes, I fit the Minnesota wild. Um, but Kaylin Addison also seems to be positive in terms of looking for the opportunity and making the most of it and getting more ice time and, and developing as a player. Sarah, of these moves, did either of them really move the radar for you, or are these just two teams fine-tuning what they think they might need on the margins? Yeah, this is just one of those things between 
they're having a mid off, if you will. But the sharks are so hilariously bad that yeah, you you get creative and you see teams in that position start to tweak things that like might not make sense right now. But obviously, when you look back, I mean, they still won't matter. <laughs> but hey, do it to do it. Shayna, did either of these moves make you pay attention, or are you on to the next? I mean, at least the Sharks got a power play quarterback, right? That power play is a disaster in San Jose, so maybe that'll help. But, like, while they're so bad defensively and they keep finding the wrong answers to fix, like, let's get older and slower and tougher. Sure. Keep keep doing you, Billy G. <laughs> so, yay for trades. Not super exciting yet. But a trade that could potentially be exciting. We're not sure when this one might happen um but the outspoken defender for the calgary flames nikita zadorov who's never been shy about speaking about things on or off the ice um after a shootout loss to toronto this past weekend did come out um, my understanding is through his agent uh dan milstein with a trade request this has been a big theme in calgary of if they can't put it together with all of the front office and behind the bench changes this year, are their marquee players going to want to stay or go? Zadorov, it sounds like, is coming out on the side of the ladder. Sarah, where should Nikita Zadorov go? Does it shock you he's coming out with this request this early? Well, no, especially when an agent as aggressive as Milstein is behind it. He's going to let everybody know, and that's kind of what you should do. And I think it's smart. I mean, there's going to be trade requests coming out of this team. I mean, there already had been, and now there's going to be more. So it's just kind of like, if you're the agent and if you're the player, you kind of want to be one of the first to get into these discussions so you can go where you actually want to go. And I think Zadorov could be better than he is right now on a different team. I think Somewhere like the Canucks could use him. They're not, he's not going to make the Canucks worse. And he's hilarious and a really, really good vibe. And they don't really have many fun players. And this is my argument for that. I think they need somebody who's going to be a good, funny quote, somebody with style. And I'm here for that. Well, I like the vibometer for our future trade evaluations. We'll keep that in mind. <laughs> uh, but Shayna, you know, I'm with Sarah. I think Zadorov could, the, the theme this season certainly seems to be that a lot of teams are struggling defensively. And so when a player like Zadorov says, get me out of here, uh, are there places that you think he might fit? I could see Toronto because the Leafs, it always comes back to the Leafs and they definitely need defensive help. And I think if they can like, stop forcing Mark Giordano to play a million minutes like that would help but the team for me definitely is New Jersey like they're playing Brendan Smith because they need a fourth penalty killer like they need a second unit defenseman and Brendan Smith is a net negative on both ends of the ice like you don't want him out there so if they could have someone that could legit play in that four or five spot and play on the penalty kill like that would be big for them and they're a smaller team they're a less physical team and while I think they can get through the playoffs without it I'm sure the like every GM wants like a little bit more size and physicality before the playoffs. So I feel like he'd actually be a good fit there. And the fact that like he's a big guy and actually can skate, I think he could still keep up with the Devils. I like this. And you got to imagine that the player is going to want to go somewhere where he's back in the competitive mix versus just being traded. We'll see what happens there. Um, speaking of teams around the greater New York metropolitan area, Casey Zekas came out <laughs> post the Islanders, what was it, their third loss or their fourth loss in a row to Washington this weekend? 
And he basically said that if fans who had been at the game there on the island who were chanting for Lane Lambert, their head coach, to be fired, that if they didn't like it, they could stay home. Uh, many have pointed out that Casey Zekas is the consummate Islander, and some are giving him mad props for standing up for his team. Fans, though, pay for the right to say whatever they want to say. Sarah, where do you fall on this? Do you like the player coming out? Do you like the fans chanting? Is it all just entertainment? What's going on on the island? I mean, <laughs> the players coming out says everything you need to know about the coach who people really do love. Lane Lambert is a really good coach. What the hell do you want him to do? This system hasn't changed and it wasn't good enough to not change for the past few seasons. You think maybe with Bo Horvat coming back, it's going to improve, but like, no, with every other move other teams made in this extremely competitive division, I don't know why you think you can just do nothing. So I think that's on Lou Lamorello, but I also think the fans chanting, I mean, it's within their rights and it can be kind of funny, like when um, that happened with the devils and then they apologize. So it's just like, as long as you're prepared to eat crow later, say what you want. And I love that it gives players an opportunity to defend the coach. Dana, this is a team that's in your backyard. You're very familiar with them. And this certainly fits the personality. Um, and I say that with with a, as a positive of the Islanders fan base. Do you like the chance? And to Sarah's point, what realistically could fans have even expected? Is this just a matter of a goaltender maybe finally coming down to earth and the fans seeing what the team really is? Because they couldn't make that many offseason moves. Yeah. yeah. Now, I don't think, like, I don't blame this on Sorokin. I feel like he masked their problems last year. And while I'm a little bit underwhelmed by Lambert to start, I feel like he's trying to be Trotz 2.0. He's not the problem. It's Lula Amorello through and through. Like Lula Amorello has done nothing good for this team except for hire Barry Trotz who brought in his own staff. <laughs> so Literally. If you, direct, if you want to direct your you know, aggression anywhere, it should be Lou. And he's not going anywhere. And the long contracts aren't going to be his problem by the time he's done. So it doesn't like it doesn't matter. But I think it's funny it's Zizekas too because he's someone like the fans are the least likely to turn on. And I do feel like Barzell was trying to walk it back a little in his pregame interview against the Oilers yesterday. But like if this was Barzell or Horvat, I think fans would like have their pitchforks out if he said something. So someone like Zizekas can get away from get away with it. But like I get it. You're defending your coach. What are you supposed to say? It's a little harsh, but like that's that's the way it goes, right? Like it's a shitty situation for everyone, and I think everyone should be upset they're underperforming. Absolutely. At least make the their play a little bit more exciting. My kingdom for an exciting Islanders game, but that's, that's we'll see. Um, on to some more breaking news just of today, and I'm reading the reporting of a friend of the pod, Greg Wyshynski, um, but this is coming out of multiple outlets. Uh, it sounds like changes could be coming for three-on-three -three overtime Lots of discussion about reducing puck possession, potentially trying to make half-court rules, uh, meaning you couldn't um, potentially be able to circle back into your own zone. As we all know, that has become the de facto method to just hold on to the puck, come out of the zone, reset, and then try and come in on the attack. Um, I loved OT when it first came out, and then like anything, teams started to figure it out, and this is kind of their adaptation. But then you still every now and then are getting an OT where you're like, just just more, like, just give me more of it. What, what was it? Was it Toronto Calgary on Friday that was just so freaking yeah. good and like just yeah. injected into my veins? So I don't disagree with the thought process of saying, let's make this more exciting. But I really don't know if I think this is the solution 
Sarah, this did just come out, so we're all still kind of pondering, but did you have any thoughts on if we were going to fix three-on-three OT, if it needs to be fixed, let me start there, what would you do to keep it going? Yeah, I don't know. Like, out of all the things that could be fixed in the league, I don't know why we have to mess with a thing that, I mean, it is really exciting, but you're right, players figure it out, but that's kind of the beauty of the tactical aspect of the game, and it's something more for a dead puck era, I feel. Like, if you're trying, why are they trying to make this part of the game more exciting when scoring has never been more prominent. And I thought it was really interesting in my conversation with Greg Cronin last week, he was telling me about how he was at the PK speaking of the Islanders. He was the head of that during their Renaissance in 2002 when Chara was there and they set an NHL record. And after that, he said, people forget that back in 2004, the NHL had basically shut down for the year and they had a meeting. They wanted to see what they could do to change the game and create more speed. They increased the offensive zone three feet from the goal line to the blue line, and they increased the space between the goal line and the back of the net two feet. They weren't going to change the ring size. So in order to do all this, they squeezed the neutral zone. It went from like 60 feet to 50 feet or some damn thing. They took the red line out. When that happened, the penalty killing, which used to always go bottom up, changed. And the next year we'd get beat doing the same system. So it used to always go bottom up. Then he changed tactics to make it go... um, from up to down, like the push down. Some people call it the egg beater, I guess. And then it's just really interesting to see. So I'd like to see what teams would actually do tactically to change if it's just half court. I think that would be super interesting. So I'm kind of here for it, even though it's pointless. Do you like the change or do you have a better idea in mind? I mean, potential change, I should say. I I would extend over time to, you know, like, seven minutes to start and it felt like last year there was kind of an effort to increase games ending in three on three and we saw more penalties being called in the late minutes of games and more penalties being called in overtime so like that's one way to increase scoring I wonder if what the preference would be among teams if they're faced with these two decisions and whatever they implement like everyone's going to react and figure out a new way but this to me feels like you know like in a game of pool it depends on like the rules that you're playing but it's like if you scratch, you have to move the ball to the other side. Like if you don't hit at least two walls, it's considered a scratch or something like that. Like there's all those like stupid rules. Like it feels like that and it feels so unnecessary. Like this is this is a suggestion. Like, I, I don't know, maybe it could work. I get like not everyone wants to watch regroups, but they're kind of necessary when you have that much space. And you're also asking players to like put in the legwork to be all over the place. Going to be interesting to see. I just, as long as there's, Less opportunity for a shootout. I'm here for it. We'll see how that all turns out. Uh, One last uh, little bit of news that is a little bit more serious. um, And we're going to be very careful here because we do not know the full details, nor have the full details been released. But it was announced today that Matt Petgrave, who is the defenseman whose skate uh, cut Adam Johnson and led to his unfortunate passing, um, that was a tragedy no matter how you look at it, has been arrested in London. Um, I think this is awful regardless. I mean, I just, I don't know the specifics of the law. I don't know the specifics of the situation. I personally chose not to watch the video um, for my own mental health. So I can't even say I saw it, but I will say this. 
there's a bunch of people online who do not live in the UK, who do not know UK law, who didn't know the incident, um, that seem to have a lot of opinions that seem to be based on a lot of really, really ugly things. And I think that's abhorrent. Um, this is only extending the pain of this situation for loved ones, in my opinion, um, regardless of how this turns out. I don't know if, if you two have any thoughts. Again, we don't know exactly what this means. We don't know UK law yet, and we don't know the exact circumstances or evidence that was discovered, um, but it is a bit o news. Sarah, any commentary you want to offer? I, it's just like, there's so many things going on in the world right now, including, and especially this in our world, that just make me really want to change the way, or have made me change the way that I even interact with social media or online, because it does seem either for whatever reason to boost an algorithm on somewhere like X with blue checks or something like that. People have an elevated sense of thinking they know something, an elevated sense of thinking their opinion is important, an elevated anger and um, aggressiveness with which they debate these things. I, I never logged on. I think I quote tweeted this BBC News, breaking news. And it didn't say Matt Petgrave's name because in UK law, they don't really say the name of um, somebody getting arrested. But I just said, what does this do to help? And the amount of people responding the most aggressively rude comments that are saying, like, it's just people have lost touch with reality. And why do you expect me to debate with you about something I'm not even trying to have a debate about? I just want everybody involved to feel okay. And I hate, I, I saw a response to my tweet that was like, well, I just watched the video this morning and it looked like it wasn't an accident. I'm like, okay, where do you get off responding to just a question that did not have any type of opinion tied to it saying I'm qualified to speak on this publicly where anybody could see it because I watched this grainy video once. Why do you think you are qualified to speak on this? And why do you think your opinion matters? Like, I don't, your opinion doesn't matter on this. I don't want to hear your opinion. I don't want to debate about this. Like it is a tennis match going back and forth. I think we need, I want to humanize issues that are going on in the world. And I feel sick over this for teammates, anybody on the ice who saw it, anybody who felt that they are held responsible for something that they, that they, I just think the debate is so dehumanizing and that's, I don't know if that was jumbled, but I just don't want to keep having these debates where people will come at you with anything except empathy. And they're not in good faith, right? Like if no, they're not trying exactly. to have a good faith conversation, they're just trying to spew garbage about something that it's it's a mm -hmm. sensitive subject and like we we don't understand every part of this we aren't in anyone else's headspace that we just have to like I don't like just take in that this is happening and I'm sure we'll learn as things progress and figure it out from there but like not everything has to have it like a hot take and some huge conversation and accuse a situation like I know it it might sound like hard that you can have a situation like this without making an accusation and making it into something it's not but like mm -hmm. there's there's a way to go about things and it just feels like this isn't it and like it's just a horrible situation all around someone responded to my tweet saying if somebody died there needs to be repercussions i'm like what 
Can you think Hammurabi's about what you just cold, said? Baby, we're back. Yeah, fucking we're back. Hammurabi's cold. Like, can you think about what you just said? And it just made me that, for example, was like, okay, you're the internet is full of people who are very confident in whatever they're saying to a degree that I don't want to have any type of discussion with them. So that made me step back and be like, okay, I'm deleting this entire thing that wasn't even meant to be a debate. Yeah, it's this is at the at the root of this a, a life was lost and to your point sarah there's that that's ripples and waves of pain for many many people for many different reasons for a long long time and i just don't we we need a little more humanity and empathy in, in our world um so we'll we'll keep track of that as it goes on um y'all we thought we had maybe missed this segment for a while but now we have a late entrant and unfortunately, as I get ready to set this up, I realize I didn't miss this segment at all. But we have a nominee for the shit list. Um, as we went to record, it has come out. Um, Hockey Canada has, I think, for 2006 years now, been pursuing um, an investigation of uh, 2018, uh, their world junior team and an incident of sexual assault. Um, so some pretty serious stuff. And since um, this was launched, we've been able to make rulings on all kinds of things, except a simple, it would seem, investiga investigation where last I think we saw um, the victim was cooperating with the investigation. Um, but it was just announced that Hockey Canada did have a ruling. However, the players from the team have now filed an appeal and therefore nothing can be released um, I'm looking at Hockey Canada's announcement here um, saying the hearing is complete and the panel has provided its final adjudicative report to all involved parties. Shortly thereafter, a notice of appeal was filed, filed as is permitted under Hockey Canada's investigation and adjudication procedures. As the appeal process, let me underline this next part, which we anticipate will begin in the near future, will be conducted this is their italicies in camera and italicies. We are not able to share details of the report, including its findings at this time to ensure that we do not interfere with the integrity of the appeal process. Um, first and foremost, the fact that this has taken this long is something that already had me fired up for quite some time. Um, you, of course, want there to be a proper investigation which would include an appeal process, but it's been five years and here we are. And we have talked before about the, we talk about waves and ripples of pain that the victim involved in this has continued to have to endure as she has had to share her story more than a couple of times. Um, and meanwhile, there are many people who may or may not be making uh, a lot of money in the NHL with no repercussions. Um, Sarah, I don't know where to begin, but do you have any comments? It's just, I mean, one of many mistakes was saying that the information will be available at a certain time. Like they said, it was going to be, what, end of summer, early um, season, and that just didn't happen. And it's like, you got to, it's suspicious. It is suspicious, and it's really disappointing to see, and I just really want justice for the victim and all victims and, and people deserve to know what happened. Shana, are we, how shocked are we 
if at all, that it's taken this long when we can make rulings on a million other things that are very impactful in the world of hockey, but but can't seem to get our shit together when it comes to something like this real life issue. And how far behind does this tell us we still are? Or am I making too much of this? No, you're not. We can make rulings on trade clauses and, you know, get rid of draft picks and do things like that and make sure those are complete. But this, like you said, like there are people involved in this who make millions of dollars playing in a league that should be a privilege to do and you have to earn that privilege and you have to maintain it you know this it can it can be taken away very quickly and here it is like a situation that you would have thought maybe possibly in some sort of universe would have been taken care of by now publicized and you know kind of like give closure to the victims and to everyone involved and that can't happen because it just continues and while i understand an appeal process is a part of this it just it just keeps dragging on forever and it, it it's a horrible for hockey you know it, it everything is so far back from where it should be and it just can't progress with shit like this overhanging it and this is not the only situation to even talk about with hockey canada right like there's if if this one took so long like where is it going to go from here like it, everything's just so shitty and bad with them like i don't have better words to describe it but um yeah yeah we uh we focus on getting done what we care the most about and uh this has taken too long and now it looks like it's going to take even longer with again as uh, that hockey canada statement that i read in part seems to imply uh the appeal has not even started yet so here we go uh let's move in to some actual hockey talk and y'all, we, <laughs> we got to start with Edmonton. I still remind the people that I said I was not sold on them <laughs> as a cup contender. And here we are now, not even 20 games in. The head coach is gone. There's chaos. They're literally until a win over the Islanders last night. Bottom of the league falling to San Jose arguably the intentionally worst team in the league this season. Um, Chris Knobloch, who was the head coach of the Rangers AHL team, comes in. Uh, there's some very interesting discourse coming out of the front office with uh, playing now the round-robin game of who is actually in charge, the president or the GM. But this is this is a tough one for me to unpack if we, unpack if we really want to get to it. We know that the goalie was underperforming. We know that the team was weaker defensively, but I don't know that we also know, and Shana and I talked about this a little bit, when you change a coach mid-season, every coach who gets changed in mid-season has arguably talked about that it's almost impossible truly to change systems mid-season. It just can't happen. Um, so why make this change? And are you are we still just falling prey to a goaltender elevates or sinks a coach? I I get why this reason, why this change happened behind the bench in terms of hockey, but I don't know that we've thought this through enough to really understand what are the steps to be taken to fix the Oilers. And Shane, I'm going to have you go first because you wrote a really great piece on The Athletic about this prior to the firing. But how much are we selling short what would have been a critical thinking process about how to actually fix the Edmonton Oilers? I, I think we're selling short that process. And I think that they just felt so much pressure when you think about the prime years of McDavid and Dreisaitl and their contract situations. You have 
one more year of dry settle. So you have two more years of McDavid. Like I get all of that's kind of compounding at once, but for me, I look at it and I, I think the problems start at the top and it's Ken Holland. You look at the number of head coaches he's had and you look at the number of missteps he's made. He signed that Jack Campbell deal that literally no one in the league would have done when there were other options available. He signed that Darnell Nurse deal. He could have, I think, upwards of $10 million if he signed players to appropriate values. And yes, there can be overpayments, but when you have a team like that and you want to pay your core players so much, you can't afford to overpay mid players when there's so much pressure to win. So that is like the primary, primary, primary problem. And when you decide to make a shift in system, sometimes you have to assess the roster and go, are they strong enough to handle it, right? Maybe they weren't. And the other part of it is like, they didn't change anything over the summer, really, even though they progressed, right? That was their best deadline yet. The the most complete Oilers team we've seen. And they go, well, we're okay with that. But I do put a little of the onus on Woodcroft because it was his decision to change the systems, right? And I think he did a very good job when he came to lead. I think he did an excellent job with the Oilers and changing their play in all three zones. But I also think that he kind of bit off more than he could chew here. And I don't think he did a very good job teaching his players and communicating what he wanted done. And I think you saw that confusion. Like, it's easy to look at the Oilers and say, well, they are actually rated pretty well in a bunch of defensive categories. But when you see those breakdowns happen you can see like it just looks like the players don't know what they're doing. And he was so quick to say it's not the system, but I don't see how he, and obviously we're not in practice, we don't know, but it just felt like he didn't know how to say, but this is what you should have done instead to avoid those mistakes repeating. And they kept happening. So I do understand putting some of the fault on him, but it does feel like he's a scapegoat for Holland, which shocker, right? How many GMs change their coach when they're the problem? Sarah, let's get into that a little bit more. Ken Holland is in the last year, we believe, of his contract as GM. And the press conference that came out after this change um, had not just Ken Holland, but the CEO, Jeff Jackson, who is the former agent of Connor McDavid. And there was an interesting uh, little exchange that happened in that press conference where Ken Holland seemingly implied that prior to making the coaching change that he had gotten some input from some players, which seems to make sense in the world in which we are speaking of right now. But then Jackson came out and said publicly, quote, we didn't consult with the players on this decision. They are here to play hockey. They don't like being involved in these types of decisions. Connor McDavid and the other leaders had nothing to do with this decision. Now, Connor McDavid did come out and say he learned about this change via text. And as we talked about with the Kyle Dubas situation last spring, People who are in these positions of power don't say the things they say or contradict things that have been said unintentionally. What do you make of the leadership overall of this organization right now? And does it bode well or poorly for what this team is trying to rebound from? I just think sometimes we need to consider that there can be more one th- than one thing wrong. Like we point fingers and we do this thing. And I think maybe that's been the fucking problem with the Oilers for so long is they keep pointing fingers one by one and pointing the wrong fingers at the wrong time. And it's like trying to stop a ship from sinking instead of just in like putting your hands in the plugs instead of just like the one, like you say, you mentioned leadership, a real leader would acknowledge that there's at every level, there's some type of issue with this team and a temporary fix, like firing a coach. It's like, we've done that before. Like it's not going to, change much you got to take a big look at the franchise be honest and what are you willing to actually 
commit to, but then you run the risk of, oh my God, like this looks bad and McDavid's out. But regardless, McDavid seems like he's about to be out. <laughs> let's let's dig in on that a little bit on two two different sides of that coin. Shayna, you know, we on this show are often the voices saying, bring in someone new, don't just bring in the same old coaches. And so we must give props to Edmonton for bringing in a new voice at the NHL level. Um, you expressed, at least on social, you know, some, I think, some gentle pleasure in this hire with Chris Knobloch. It's obviously an organization you've covered in the past. What can you share with us that you know about him and, and are your hopes high for what he might be able to do with this organization? Yeah, I think Chris Knobloch is like, the potential like up and coming coach to watch. He did a great job with the flyers with their power play. He was good in Hartford when he didn't have much to work with. And for me, like when the Rangers fired David Quinn, I thought they were going to give him another year. And I wanted to see Knobloch at least come up to the NHL level to be their offensive coach. Like that was the adjustment I would have made if I were in charge. And I completely understand moving on from uh, Quinn when they did, but then it seemed like maybe the doors open to that. And they went with Gallant and they went with Laviolette because they knew that experience. But I don't think that's a knock to him. I just think it's what the Rangers felt they needed at the time. Um, it's interesting because so many moves the Oilers are making, it feels like they're doing to make a perfect situation for McDavid, right? You, you're bringing in Connor Brown, someone he thrived with at the OHL and level. And you're bringing in Knobloch, who's his coach, who did a great job with him. And there's quotes of Jeff Jackson saying things like, this is the coach to watch. He maximizes his players. And I think it's telling, if I remember correctly, like he won his championships after the McDavid years there too. Like he did seem like he did a really good job. So it's a fresh name, but it's also like, this is who I know. And this is who will make, I mean, look. You're Jeff Jackson. You're his former agent. There is a relationship there. So you might be trying to make McDavid happy. And also, if you're a franchise, you want to make your superstar happy. Just like the Wild extending Zuccarello for Kaprizov because they thrive together and they're so like they're such good friends. Like that stuff happens. So I get trying to do it, but it's just all kind of messy. And the coffee situation is awkward too because he was someone that, if I remember right, Holland got rid of when he joined the organization, and then Jackson brought him. Or Daryl Katz brought him in to be a special advisor. So now it's kind of, it feels like a fuck you to him. Like, no, no, the guy you got rid of that we brought back, now we're putting behind the bench. Like your hires, we're clearing out and here's our option. And it's not saying he'll be bad. It's just this weird situation that you don't need to have when you want to contend. You don't need, like, yes, it should be good to have different opinions, but like this feels messy. Sarah, you brought up there are layers of, of this issue and there are layers to fixing the problem. Okay, let's take Shana's report at face value and say Chris Knobloch can, can make some significant changes, but this roster is still what this roster is. We know what it can take to truly turn a roster around when it has some big holes like this one seemingly does. I'm going to put you on the spot. Are Connor McDavid and or Leon Dreisaitl both on this team in two years? No, I Love hope it. not. I fucking hope not. I don't think so either. I think Dry Saddle's gonna be the first one to be like, get me out. Who look like the way they have reacted Leon. this time is so Bestie different. Leon. Leon. <laughs> <laughs> the way they've reacted this time is just so different than last time. Um, and there's reports that he's done. So whatever that means. He's okay. so pissy. No, I I'm sorry. I I I love. I love every vibe about him that we're getting lately. Like when it's like, oh, nice observation. Like he doesn't give a shit about your dumb questions. When he came in 
to the game for like that I think it was like the morning skate or whatever like and he had his hood up and he was talking to the media I'm like this man means business he's about to go crush it and he has been seriously excellent this season like he's the only one that has been so I I love the attitude I love the vibe from him like he's had enough and he's just gonna go out and kill it and then do what he wants which like he's earned Leon has had enough bestie Leon (laughs) join the pod please actually um all right well let's let's go to just a couple other teams quickly in the west before we uh finish up this little episode y'all the vancouver canucks have lost four games and they've won i'm counting here six of their last seven and they're about to play the beleaguered new york islanders tomorrow that is wednesday on home ice People are joking, but half serious that this team could sweep all the major NHL awards if this thing holds. Sarah, are the Canucks good or lucky or both? Both, and that's what it takes. I mean, we've seen some good teams that have been unlucky, much like the Canucks in the past. And it's I don't know, like the opposite maybe of the Flames last year where you had these provenly good guys who were just having their worst seasons. Now you have guys that have been trying to prove that they are actually good and proving it. I mean, like we've all seen the Quinn Hughes-Dom decision drama. And I don't blame Dom for needing Quinn to prove himself. But now that he is, it's like the victory lap. It's like, okay. And I love Canucks fans for this because like, they kind of can't ever be happy sometimes. Like, just be happy that the team is winning, but they have seen so much suffering as a franchise and so much dysfunction that I kind of get it. And a lot of the times, it's actually not that bad or mean-hearted. So I'm, I don't know, I'm happy for Canucks fans and the team's legit. So Shana, there's a big core argument among the nerds about the Canucks and it centers around a measure that is called PDO, which actually stands for <laughs> nothing because we like to make things way more complicated than they are. But the idea behind PDO is that for every team in the league, you should be able to add shooting percentage and save percentage together and get as close to 100 or one full percent as possible. And anything over that, a team is overperforming and anything under that, a team is underperforming. And you can look at those two elements as measures approximately of puck luck and or bad bounces. However, There's a new wave coming along, and I credit Micah Blake McCurdy, who does this the best publicly, in my opinion, that PDO is kind of irrelevant because we actually can start to measure finishing power and prove that some skaters are going to exceed league averages in shooting percentage. Are the Canucks actually good, or is this a PDO bender? I don't think it's a PDO bender. I do think they look better than they actually are right now. They're getting outstanding goaltending. Thatcher Demko is having the the rebound year I think a lot of us wanted to see last year. Quinn Hughes is thriving. We love it. And it's funny with the whole conversation with Dom, like we all talk to team people for player tiers and pretty much every single person said, we all think Quinn Hughes could be good, but he has to prove it at five on five. And I love that he is like, it definitely helps. He finally has a capable partner in Philip Ronick instead of playing with guys like Tucker Pullman, like, it's great. He's doing everything and more that we could have hoped. He's thriving in transition. He's going up against top competition and crushing them. Like he, he really is rising to the occasion. That's great. And then you have someone like Patterson who is just amazing again. Like it's all great and wonderful. 
the key, I think, to sustaining the PDO bender and turning it into sustainable success is that you don't get blinded by the lucky bounces and by the great goaltending, and you still look below the surface and go, this is where we need to bring our game up so we can extend this. Like, that's the key to it, right? That That's what you need to do. You need to keep, no matter how much you win or how good you're doing, is finding ways to extend it and build on it. So I think the next couple of weeks are going to be super telling because we'll see how that works out. If everything dries up, then I think we have our answer. But it just feels like this Canucks team has potential to do really well as long as they can just keep pushing forward. And it feels like the coaching staff really wants that to happen. So, you know, like everyone wants to talk about Rick Tockett in the coaching conversation. I don't know how high I rank him just yet, but like I'm truly curious if he can make the right changes to like push them ahead. We will keep an eye on the Vancouver Canucks. The team, however, right behind them, that seemingly isn't getting enough attention, and we just wanted to discuss briefly if they should be getting more, is the Los Angeles Kings. They have lost their last two, but they won their previous four prior to that over both Toronto and a commanding win over Vegas. I was ready to watch that game and be so excited for this huge contest, and and that was really all Kings. Are we underselling the Kings, a team that many of us, myself included, were pointing to mainly goaltending as being the only question mark? And now are we celebrating them enough, Sarah? I think we can do whatever we want. (laughs) What a loaded question. Um, It's just kind of a put up, shut up year for PL. And I don't know, I've liked, I think he's been involved in some really big plays um, I'd like to see a little bit more out of him. And it's just kind of, again, like a lot of these teams that were supposed to be good. It's kind of like, what did you expect with the goaltender you had in net to begin with, with the season? There are a lot of them are just kind of living on like a wish and a prayer with the goaltending. Then we're like, wow, the Bruins so good. And they have like the most steady goaltending of all time. So I think a lot of these teams, it really is. Did you really invest in goaltending enough? Dana? Yeah, what do you think uh, of the Kings? Cam Talbot's better than I expected. Like we saw him with Minnesota and behind a good defensive team and he still struggled a bit. So I kind of thought Copley was going to be the one I hear, but like I'm impressed with how he's bounced back. It feels like this is the most complete version of the Kings we've seen in a couple of years. They have scoring depth and someone like Byfield shifted to the wing and he's doing great with Kempe and Kopitar. And I think that's really important. I feel bad for poor Philip Deneau who keeps getting thrown into a shutdown role, even though the promise of LA was like, don't worry, you don't have to just eat shit every day. But it it feels like this is a good team. I still want like a little bit more like at the top of their lineup. And I feel like that I know that might sound weird because they have three lines that can contribute. But I think that they're a good team. And I think that they're running with the opportunity that the Flames and the Oilers starts has opened for them. And I think that's the most important part of it all. That's such a good point. And that brings us to just our last kind of watch list item. We won't break this one down for now because we're going to wait and see a little bit on this. But another team taking advantage of opportunity of of those slow starts in Canada, um, other than the Canucks, apparently, Western Canada, I should say, um, is the Anaheim Ducks, who don't look now, have won seven of their last nine. Um, And Leo Carlson has a hat trick over the weekend. I fully credit the the jerseys. I think they're fabulous. They're fantastic. They should never go away. Um, But we'll keep our eye on Anaheim as well. Uh, It is time to wrap up our episode with our very favorite game. And that is Fuck, Marry, Kill. Sarah Sivian, you are up first, as is tradition. Are you ready 
As ready as I'll ever be. I love it so much. Here we go. Now that we've had our first head coach change, someone else's seat has just gotten a lot hotter. And I would like you to fuck, Mary kill these three coaches on their being on the hot seat post the Jay Woodcroft firing. Are you ready? Yes. All right, here we go. First up is Ottawa's DJ Smith. Then there's Toronto's Sheldon Keith. And finally, the Islanders' Lane Lambert. Have at it. I'm marrying DJ Smith. Get this guy out. Like, they actually have a good team. People are healthy. The, um, the government, the um, management actually went out and get and got good people. It's kind of at this point, like, I don't, I don't want to hear it from DJ anymore. Um, I am going to kill... Lane Lambert, I think he's good. And I think their management has needed to do things from years before. And the team itself is somewhat underperforming. And I'm going to fuck um, Sheldon Keefe. I, I think it's funny that Leafs fans seem to not have a problem with him, but have a problem with literally everyone and everything else when he's been pretty much the common denominator of the past few years. So I don't know. I think that's funny and I'll keep him around. Dana, your picks. I think I'm going to agree with everything. I'll kill Ooh. Lambert. I, like, look, I don't like how he's developed young players at all. And I think that he needs a couple more tricks up his sleeve. But the problem there is Lou and we all know it. So it's not like he's put in a position to succeed. Uh, Keith, the drama. I, I just, I'm, it's giving me life. I love it. Thank you, Toronto. Thank you for thinking of me all the time. Um, some of the decisions like Klingberg deployment and Reeves deployment are batshit. But like, let's face it, Bradtree living actively hurt this team. And uh, so that's a bad look on Shanahan. So like, I kind of want to just see the situation where it can go. And I don't I don't know if changing the coach is going to solve anything. I feel like you, you got bigger problems and they're like roster related. Um but yeah, you got to get rid of DJ Smith. Like, I'm sorry, man. It, you weren't good in Toronto. Uh, you really ran a poor defense there. The Senators should not be this bad defensively at all. Uh, I don't understand why Jack Capiano is an assistant coach either. You, you need a fresh approach. And it feels like the change in ownership, like we're all waiting. We were all waiting for Dorian to go. And now it's like, okay, we're all waiting for Smith to go. And I get it. Brady Kachuk supported him. I would expect nothing less, but um, I simply don't. I'm sorry, Brady. Well, in honor of Leo Carlson, I'm going to go in on the too many men hat trick. I agree. Love it. <laughs> we did it. We did Sorry, it. I we did it, Joe. We did it, Joe. We did it, Leo. We did it, Leon. We did it, Leo. Here we are. All right. Two besties. Um, Join the podcast. We need one. Is there another Leo or Leon like name that we can have in the fold? Uh, I don't Lee, know. I guess. Yeah, Anders Lee. Anders Lee, but that's yeah. a last name. Well. We'll workshop this. We'll workshop this. We'll think about it. We'll think about it. All right, y'all. Um, we will be back next week with a pre-Thanksgiving episode because we, in service of you, our wonderful listeners, want to give you some content to take in while you're driving to wherever you may be going if you are celebrating American Thanksgiving. And as a thank you to you, we are bringing out another episode of the Too Many Men Mailbag. So... You can let us know what your questions or topics are that you'd like to hear us discuss or answer. Just send those to us on social. We are on Twitter and Instagram at two underscore much underscore man. And we are on Blue Sky at two hyphen much hyphen man. 
be sure to use the hashtag TMMail so that we are sure to find those questions and get them on air to let you guys hear what you want us to talk about. If you just want to support us from afar, you can be like our good friend in Seattle, Eric, who was wearing his Too Many Men t-shirt, his lucky shirt from what I hear, to his adult league game earlier this week and buy Too Many Men merch by going to toomanymenmerch.com to get t-shirts, mugs, switch cases, hats, notebooks, and all that good stuff. Thanks to Ashley and James for making sure that domain stays alive. Connect with us on social any which way you want. And until we talk again, we want to be sure to first and foremost, thank you for doing something kind like Kim, who made me a Too Many Men friendship bracelet and brought it to me the other day at the game, Um, but also do something no matter how big or how small to make sure hockey truly is for everyone. And happy birthday, Katie. That bracelet was gorgeous. I want it. Love y'all. Bye.